0: Thanks for listening to the Christ Covenant Sermon Podcast. For more information, visit ChristCovenant.com. Amen. You guys can have a seat. If you weren't in here uh, for the welcome, I'll just kind of reintroduce myself. My name is Blake Rogers. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Covenant. I'm not the guy who typically uh, stands up on this stage to preach, uh, but I'm so grateful to have the honor our pastor, Jason, being the statesman, the Auburn statesman that he is, just could not roll himself out of bed this morning to be here. So um, I told him I would step up for him. Uh, and all jokes aside, he, he's leading a group of our uh, church family uh, in Israel, uh, seeing all the sites over there and, and trying to get just a, a big picture understanding of, of the very places that Jesus um, walked and where he taught. I'm grateful to be here. Uh, with you today. Today we're going to be talking about the rule of integrity. And if you've been with us the last couple weeks, uh, you know that we've we've started um, a sermon series called The Ten Rules. Uh, Jason prefaced this series by saying, uh, you know, Jordan Peterson, he's a very popular writer, he wrote a book called Rules for Life. And um, being humans who benefit from lists, we wanted, as we were going through the Ten Commandments, just to attack one at a time, uh, to, to digest it, to, to pull it out, to digest it, and then to apply it uh, to our hearts and to our lives. Uh, we hit the rule of authority uh, in the first commandment. The second commandment, uh, we hit the rule of covenant. Uh, and today, we're looking at the rule of integrity from the passage that Jason Byers Uh, read earlier and in particular uh, verse 7 and so if you've got a copy of God's word uh, feel free to turn there we've tried to do a good job of of, uh, providing that up on the screen if you don't have a bible and and you're just visiting church uh, we've got some available to you out there uh, in the a little four-year area. We would love to sit down with you to talk about how to read the Bible. If this looks like some kind of ancient uh, book, well, it is, uh, and, and you're trying to discern, what does this mean for me today? Like, our pastors would love to sit with you, uh, we'll take you out to eat. We'll, we'll, we'll have a good time talking about uh, God's Word, but just feel free to take one and let us know. Uh, but today, again, Exodus 20, verse 7, which says this, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain we've really been looking at each of these commandments through three lenses the first lens is that of practical wisdom Uh, we want to look at this text we want to look at the the ten commandments as being uh, commandments that, that help us to flourish in life and we believe that they do when you live your life according according to God's plan, you will flourish that's true, okay that is true. So we want to look at practically why these commandments. what does this look like? and then we want to understand uh, the character of God uh, f- through these commandments. I think in jason's prayer, which was, which was quite beautiful and, and quite uh, timely, even for me as I was going up to preach, um, he, he he mentioned uh, the commandments showing us the revealed character of God. These commandments flow out of God; They're his, they describe who He is. Uh, in fact, one author that I read as we were, as I was preparing for this, he mentioned if you could take a picture. Uh, A word picture of the life of Jesus, it would be these Ten Commandments. These flow out of the character of God and describe the character of God by whom and, and for whom we were created. And so we need to know them. We need to know who the God is that we were made in the image of. We need to know that. But these Ten Commandments also produce a conundrum for each of us because we don't step into this room as righteous people. We never have, not one Sunday, have you ever stepped in to worship God as a righteous person? No. These commandments, they prime the pump of our hearts to know that we need a savior. Uh, And that is the good news, is that Jesus is that savior and he's been provided to us. And so we'll look at this commandment through those three lenses. uh, Practical wisdom, character of God, and gospel need. The rule of integrity. You know, everyone in this room Everyone in the world even, uh, has an affinity with or at least an appreciation of integrity. We want our coworkers, right, to be people of integrity. We want our bosses to be men and women of integrity. We want to hire people who have integrity. We want our children to to live with integrity we want our spouses to live with integrity we want our girlfriends our boyfriends we want we want to surround ourselves with people who have integrity and at the end of the day we want to look back at our lives and be able to say that we were people of integrity we desire integrity it's a part of who we are and we admire it. There's two great, uh, there's two great leadership authors, uh, one named Jim Kouzes and another named Barry Posner. Uh, they, they write some great leadership books. Ryan West, up here in the corner, turned me on to these guys. But they did a study. Uh, they determined that, you know, there's enough leadership books out there that say what leaders expect from their followers. And so we're gonna do a study and we're gonna see what do followers expect from their leaders. And, the, and they, they surveyed thousands and thousands of people. And the number one thing uh, that popped up as the thing that followers desired in their leaders was, what do you think? Integrity. Integrity is something that we desire. It is something that we admire. And why is this? Well, I think there's three reasons that we'll talk about today. There's more reasons. If I had an hour and a half to preach which, no, I don't want to do that, and you don't want to sit through that. And so, but, if, but if, you know, we really could fill that time talking about why integrity is so important to uh, who we are as humans. But, I, but there are three reasons I want to mention uh, here today. The first is this, that God made us to be attracted to integrity because integrity is a part of who God is. It's a part of who God is. Keep in mind, we are made as image bearers of God. And as such, we model, ought to model, who God is and his character but we are also people who are made for God and so we are attracted to the various characteristics that God is okay and integrity is one of them we're attracted to it because we're made the image of God and God has integrity in fact God cannot act outside of his own character there's so much hope in that there is so much hope the world is not marked by integrity Uh, Many of you have trials going on in your lives that are difficult, um, that are multi-layered, that may, where you are right now, seem like you don't know how you're going to get through it. But let me tell you, the God of the Bible is a God who does not change. And there's great hope in that. So no matter what you're going through, you can trust in uh, the God of the Bible, the God of integrity we find hope in that he cannot outside act outside of his character integrity secondly is foundational for credibility uh, because it is the consistency that people need uh, to trust others and so just foundationally as we're thinking about practical wisdom if you want to if you want to be trusted in the world be a man be a woman of integrity plain and simple Another reason, I think, is that integrity uh, that integrity rises as a major priority, is that uh, when there is a lack of integrity, we feel the pain of that. We feel brokenness. Everybody in this room has been let down by a spouse, a parent, uh, someone that you put your trust and hope in uh, at the earthly level, and uh, due to uh, maybe a moral failure, um, a lack of integrity, uh, you have to deal with the consequences of that. It is very painful. And we can tell stories just in this room, um, story after story where this has been the case. And we, our eyes would well with tears over these stories, no doubt. But when integrity, when integrity is missing, brokenness happens. Brokenness happens. And so this is another reason why we are in, attracted to integrity. So let's define integrity. Integrity, quite simply, is the state of being whole or undivided, as our modern dictionary defines it. It goes on to say, it's the quality of being honest and having a strong moral principle, moral uprightness. Um, we've got a slide here, uh, but a guy named Ray Ortland who's a pastor uh, that, I, that, that he, he's a great writer and a great pastor uh, but he wrote an article called strength and in integrity and he reflected on Psalm 10 in verse 9 which says this whoever walks in integrity walks securely but he who makes his ways crooked will be found out what is integrity it's the man according to the scriptures who walks according to his convictions. There is surety, there is security found when you align your life's habits, actions, words, thoughts with what you believe, if that is uh, ultimate, if what you believe is ultimate and good and rooted uh, in the scripture. So what is biblical integrity? He says the Hebrew word suggests completeness, wholeness, fullness. So no compromises, no breaches or gaps, um, no, or refusals in the face of duty, but rather saying yes to the Lord moment by moment, there is a completeness to our life in Christ with no compartmentalitation, Compartment, You know what I'm saying there. I, I don't struggle with big words like that. I'm not that smart. Jason would have knocked that word out of the park, right? But I'm like from South Georgia. And so uh, I, I don't, I can't, that's too too many syllables for me. So, but you get it. Th- th- this idea of compartmentalization, Compartmentalizing, there it is, compartmentalizing uh, our lives is, is this idea that we can be one person in one arena and another person in another arena. It's, I can come to church on Sunday and put my best foot forward and look like I am a Christian, and then the rest of my time in life, um, not doing that, uh, whatever that realm is. This is what it looks like to compartmentalize your life, is to put them in little compartments and to show them at, at different times. This is lacking integrity. So for Christians to have integrity, uh, for you to have integrity, uh, you have to live, you have to act, you have to speak, you have to think in alignment with what is true, and again, this produces security, it produces surety. The the man or the woman who has certain convictions and wanders his or her way throughout life, according to Psalm 10, will be found out, and there's a mystery to integrity um, that is looming and true, is that all lack of integrity will one day be exposed. And that's why we need prayers of confession. Uh, That's why we need to come into worship services with hearts that are ready to say, Lord, I want to be a man of integrity. I want to be a woman of integrity, a son or daughter of of integrity, a boss full of integrity. I want integrity because you are integrity. You have integrity, but I have integrity misstepped i don't always have integrity that's why we need christ we we have this capacity within us to be what jesus calls hypocritical hypocritical a lot of jesus's ministry was in the face of those who said one thing from a stage or they prayed in one way so that they could be heard and meanwhile their hearts were far from god in fact, there's a great uh, little picture of this in Matthew uh, chapter 23 verses 1 through 9, says this. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, "The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat." Now, that's a good seat, right? Moses is the giver of these commandments. This is, this is good. This is the word of God. So do and observe whatever they tell you. This is good, good seat to sit on. Do and observe what they tell you, but not the works that they do. This is what it means to be a hypocrite. For they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. Much of Jesus' ministry was spent Combating hypocrisy, And I think that we are in God's grace this morning uh, because the little hypocrite that lives in every single one of our hearts, in your heart and my heart, gets confronted with this text. We're in God's grace for that reason. He's a merciful God, a caring God, a loving God, and he is full of integrity. So in our present commandment here, we see that there's a way to use or take the name of the Lord in a vain manner. So we can use the name of God, maybe speak the name of God, but maybe even take the name of God, meaning to be marked by God. We want to have God's name written on us. We want to live under the name of God. There's a way that we can do this in a vain way, even a great-looking Church family that I love so much, even me, we can do this. We can take God's name in a vain manner. In other words, you and I have the capacity to use the name of the Lord in ways that it ought not to be used. I love the songs that we sung earlier, and I love the songs that we're going to sing. We're singing about and reflecting on. The name of the Lord. The name of the Lord, as we'll see in just a moment, tells us much about who God is, but the, and we'll discover that in a moment. But the question that that I think this text is facing every one of us with today is this um, is that is are you a person who, in your life, not on a Sunday morning, yes, on a Sunday morning, but throughout your life, takes on the name of the Lord with integrity? or, Are you taking the name of the Lord in vain? That is our practical wisdom section. It it, it gives us rules to live by. It gives us ways that we can be trusted in the world. Uh, But at the end of the day, it also exposes something deeply sinister and wrong and inordinate and backwards in our hearts um, this morning. And so let's turn our attention to the character uh, of God, the character of God, who God is what is in a name? What is a name? Well, uh, Abby and I, we just got back from uh, Paris, France. Uh, We were in different regions of France. We were on a mission trip there. Uh, It was really, I'm really excited to tell you guys more about this. In fact, I'll tell you a little now. Uh, We went and we were part of a church plant feasibility study. Less than two percent of the people in Paris uh, are Christians. and so in many ways they they are an unreached people group. And so what we're seeking to do is as church as a as church leaders, is strategize with what's happening on the ground in paris. we want to we want to be a part of planning churches that will reach these people with the gospel. That's what we want to be a part of. And so we went over and we we spent a lot of time doing interviews and just kind of looking around at different universities and whatnot in the south side of Paris to determine, is this a good place, the best place right now? To plant a church. And what we're going to do is, is uh, we've, we've collected this data and we've written a summary and uh, the Southern Baptist Convention is coming up. And what we're going to do is we're going to take this summary and we're going to put it in front of people and say, hey, maybe the Lord is calling you away from your church family to go be a part of leading a church in South Paris. It was an awesome thing to be a part of. And then we went to Normandy, which is an amazing place to go to. Highly recommend it. Put it on your bucket list. Um, and, and I taught a men's conference and then we just had a couple days to hang out and, and kind of debrief. But when I think we were loading the plane, or we probably just sat down. I hate flying. Anybody else with me out there? I know we got a lot of flyers. and I just hate flying. And, and that's okay. Maybe, maybe you like, you're like. you tougher than I am. I just don't like it. The whole not being in control thing, I don't like it. So um, at any rate, we sit down, and, and my wife says, you know, you know one, one of the goals of this trip is to name the daughter that we are expecting in June. I was like, great. Any Anybody that love like trying to determine what you're going to name your children in, in the room it, it's quite you know I'm sure for many of the women in the room it's probably like a fun process, but like for most of us guys it's like i don't know, just call them something and I'll get on with it you know like that that'll be fine, but no no, no no, we download you know there are apps out there right, so there are apps and you need to know about this guys who are going to be married and hopefully have children one day. There are naming apps where like, you can download an app, your wife can download an app, she can select names that she likes, and then you go through and arbitrarily select names that you like and it puts them together and it says, you both like these names. Not fun, all right? Not fun for us guys, um, but you know, a helpful thing, I guess. Thank you, babe, it was, it was amazing. Uh, but like, what, what is a name? Well, a, a name is simply something that you identify someone by uh, early on it's an identity marker, and so I think we did determine a name, and I think we're both really excited about it. It didn't come through the app, by the way, and it was a name that we liked, you know, before we thought about this for hours, but at any rate, we came to this conclusion, and we've got a name that we're going to call this child, but you know what that name means right now? For her, all it means is that we like the name, right? We just like the name, and we want to call her by this name, However, you know, when we're thinking about names, one of the things that we really like to do, as often as we can, is tie in family names. Because when you tie in a family name, it does mean something else. One of the names that we would really like to use one day is Catherine. Now, this isn't the name that we're going to use, so maybe that means, you know, we might have to have other opportunities for that later. <laughs> but, uh, but one of the names that we would like to, do, to use is, is Catherine. And uh, this is the name of my late grandmother. Uh, she died a few years ago. And um, I want to use this name because it means something. She was seriously, y'all. She was one of the most selfless, godly people I know. I mean, unbelievable woman. She would go out of her way. She did not have much money, but you had no need in her house, okay? She would sacrifice for you if you were her guest. She, she is and was a wonderful wonderful lady. And when I think about her name, all of these experiences that I have with her eating fried chicken, like every Sunday after church, uh, we went there and and ate lunch together. I think about these things. I think about all of the characteristics uh, that she embodied. Uh, And so her name is significant. Her name in many ways is her identity. So on the front side of life, your name is pretty arbitrary, right? I mean, some of you may have great names that are linked to heritage and royalty and all that kind of stuff, I'm sure. Maybe David Patton. Maybe maybe your name is linked to royalty and heritage. Uh, but my name was chosen because my parents just like, ah, I like this name. But over my life, I give meaning to my name, right? Just like my grandmother did. And we want this to be good meaning. Uh, we want this to be uh, something that is significant and important because the reality is is you won't live forever, you won't live forever, all, all, all that will, will happen whenever the life that you have now that is a gift from God is over is that you will be remembered by how you lived and how you loved and, and, um, and that will be your legacy, it will be your name. Uh, it, it, it is an important thing and this is especially true in the Bible. Names were of utmost importance because names always connoted they connotated something about the person or the thing that was to be named. And so it is with the name of God. Uh, but there's something interesting also about God's name. Uh, you and I were all given a name, right? Uh, we name our children. Why? Because we have authority over our children and uh if one day our little girl comes you know to me as i don't know when when children start doing this maybe 12 13 years old and they start kind of getting this little rebellion within them that's starting to come against their parents authority she might come and say mom dad you know what i don't like the name you chose for me when you were in paris on that trip you know what i'm gonna say well until you're on your your own this is how you will be known Uh, You you don't have the right to go and change your name. So as long as you're under the explicit authority of Blake and Abby, you will be known by this. Carry on. So that's what will happen. But naming rights means you have authority. Notice, as we look in the scriptures here in just a moment, God names himself. Our God is not a God who derives his meaning because humans put a name on him. Our God is not a God who derives significance because of something that we contributed to him. No, our God was completely happy, uh, completely happy in himself, in his being, and he discloses the name that he gives himself to us, okay? I think it's important to realize that there is no one who named God outside of God whenever you come into a worship service. It gives a weightiness to it. Uh, God is all powerful. There's no authority greater than he. Uh, That is what it means that he uh, has given himself the name. And uh, the most famous passage or one of the famous passages where we come to understand who God is according to his name is Exodus 3. Uh, so, same author, same book, Exodus 3 in verses 1 through 15. And we are going to read these together. And again, we provided them uh, up here, and I'll, I'll read them along with you. But this passage tells us some incredible things about who God is. Verse 1 of chapter 3. Now, Moses was keeping the flock of his father in law, Jethro. Unfortunate name. The priest of Midian, and he. And he And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. Now that's interesting. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. That's very interesting. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. So this is a mystery, right? This is a mystery that Moses is is seeing here. There's a fire um, that's burning, and yet it does not look like it is consuming the bush. Now, what do we know about fires? Well, what we know about fires is that if you want to build a fire, you got to put fuel on it, right? If you're going to, you know, I didn't do, you know, Boy Scouts and all this kind of stuff. So you know what I do? I go to the store and I get some lighter fluid and I get some wood and I douse it and I throw a match on it and it's awesome. So like, I know there's not like a, you know, you don't feel very manly doing that kind of stuff, but like it gets the job done. But what, it, but what the fire needs is fuel, right? It needs wood to burn on, but this fire needed no fuel. This is going to tell us something about who God is. God needs no fuel. He needs no source. He is. He exists outside of creation. He exists. And Moses, and this caught Moses' attention, uh, when the Lord, verse 4, saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said to him, Here I am. That would be a strange. Uh, thing to witness and he said do not come near take off your sandals for the place on which you are standing is holy ground another important reality that we need to see is that God exists in his happiness apart from any creation but he also exists in his holiness and even the ground around him is holy verse 6 and then he said I'm the God of your father the God of Abraham the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob and Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Verse seven. Then the Lord said, "I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the land of, from the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey." to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Ammonites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. This was going to be an awesome place, a place of promise, a place of blessing. They're not going to be under uh, the heavy weight of the Egyptians anymore. God is going to lead them out. And now, verse 9, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppressions with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you might bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children out of Israel and he said but I will be with you and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt you shall serve God on this mountain then Moses said because he knows he's in a conundrum right he is about to he's been tasked With the task of going to the most powerful man in the world, likely, and confronting him and promoting God's agenda. This man, Pharaoh, was not just a man, he was a king who was thought to be deity. And so Moses knows that if he's going to go to a deity, um, a a man god, and, and command him to do something, he has to go under the authority of someone greater. And he says, Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. I exist. I am. And he said, say to the people of Israel, I am, I am has sent me to you. And God said to, and God also said to Moses, say this to the people, people of Israel, another name right here that we need to capture, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Uh, this is where we discover uh, God's self-sufficiency. This is where we discover God's name. And this is the name that we are warned against taking in vain. Uh, in Exodus 27. Do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. This this word, I am, comes from the Hebrew verb to be or to exist. Uh, this, is, this is significant. Again, the, the, there's no fuel that's needed for this fire. He is just a God who exists in his happiness. But he's also the Lord. Uh, in Exodus three fifteen, he mentions the, the name that he's to be known throughout all generations is the Lord. What does this mean? What well, means he has authority? He's due worship. He has the right to command things to happen, and they do in his kingdom. But there are also other names of God given uh, in the Old Testament, and I think this is super interesting. In Gen- and I'll just rattle through these really quickly. But in Genesis 20, verse 14, we learn that um, God has another name, and it's Jehovah-Jireh. Okay, Jehovah-Jireh. And this name means the Lord will provide. Now, if you think about what happens in uh, Genesis chapter 22, I think it is. I've got, a, I've got a typo here. No, it's right up there. In Genesis 22, Uh, God has commissioned Abraham to go up to the mountain and sacrifice his son. What God is doing is he's testing him to see if Abraham is going to trust that God would deliver him at his greatest need, at his greatest desire. And yet, what happens in verses uh, 13 and 14? God provides a lamb. The text goes on to say that there was a horn a a ram stuck by his horns in the thicket. Uh, This is not happenstance. This wasn't just a random occurrence. This was God providentially providing, and and Abraham there declares by the Spirit that the Lord's name is Jehovah-Jireh, the God who will provide. There's another name, Jehovah-Sidkanu, which I know, like, being from South Georgia and all my pronunciation issues, you know, that's kind of a tough one, but Sidkanu, This means the Lord, our righteousness. And we see this in Jeremiah uh, 23, 6, which says this. In the days of Judah, you will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. We're going to talk about why this is important in a minute. Another one. um, uh, See, this is hard. So Jehovah Mekadashkim. Okay, this is the Lord who sanctifies you from Exodus 31, uh, verse 13, and Leviticus 28. And then there are 13 other names that the Lord reveals himself as in the Old Testament. You see, there's very much in a name, right? We learn much about God through the names of God. And we, as image bearers of God, should not be people who take those names lightly. Thus our gospel need. The reality is, We have taken them lightly. The reality is, is that we have all taken the name of the Lord our God in vain. And we'll talk about what this can look like. So what does our gospel need? Well, first of all, gospel means good news, right? It, It means good news. So there's good news in the scriptures. We believe that God is a God of good news. Uh, We believe that he's a God who saves people who are in desperate and dire and dead situations. That's what we believe about God. Um, But good news presumes what? Come on, interact. Jim got it. Somebody got it right here. Jeremy got it. Bad news, okay? Bad news. Good news presumes bad news. And there's a story in Leviticus 24, verse 16, about some very bad news for people who blaspheme the name of God. It reads like this. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. What does that mean? That means dead. All the congregation shall stone him. What does that mean? They shall throw rocks at him until he is dead. This is, this is the Bible. This is, I know this is difficult. The sojourner as well as the native. So if you just happen to go through and you've misused the name of God, death by stone. If you're a native and you knew better and you use the name of God wrongly, you blaspheme the name of God, death by stone. When he blasphemes the name, he shall be put to death. This means, you know, names mean a lot. And let's put a little flesh on this. I don't know because names are attached to character and name, the name of God is attached to the character of God. I don't know if you've been in a situation before where your character has been attacked. You know, it's one thing for somebody to say, you know what, Blake, I really don't like your name. I'll be like, okay. Like, uh, th- that's whatever. I mean, great. Uh, however, if somebody comes against me and says, Blake, I think you are a man of terrible character for this reason, that reason, and another, you just got my attention, right? And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where your character has been attacked, but that is a very, very painful thing to go through it's very difficult we've no doubt uh, had that uh, happen in in a public way even uh, and, and there were some things that I could do right to make it right and namely what are those things Well, I could go to those people who heard these things and I can have a discussion about how x person came to this conclusion about my character but at the end of the day there's very little that I could do outside of just continue to live faithfully not so with God God is not a God of human power. God vindicates his name. You come against the name and the character of Blake Rogers, little will happen. You come against the name and the character of God, death happens. And at the end of the day, we have all done this. Does this match your view of God? Does this match your view of God? A God who is sovereign to the max, a God who is full of wrath and judgment to the max, Does this match your view of God? I think it gives shape to how we use his name when we rightly understand God in this way. He is a holy God. Uh, He existed. We did not. He invited us into existence to honor and worship him. And he gave us parameters for doing that. He is ultimate. We are not. And we do well when we have an ultimate high view uh, of God. But, Okay. We don't want to cross God, so let's get this, let's get this straight. Let's, let's, walk, let's walk the narrow road, the right road, the road of surety from Psalm ten nine, And let's talk about what this looks like uh, in our lives. We, we don't want to take the name of the Lord in, in vain. And this word vain here, and I highly encourage you to pick up the books that we have for sale if you haven't already. Kevin Young has a really great section on this um, in, in that book that we'll be discussing this week in our life in our community groups. And so uh, pick one of those things up. But the word vain here, uh, it, 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 carry, it carries the idea of being empty, of nothing, of worthlessness, or to no good purpose. This word in particular is used in the Old Testament to describe emptiness, or falsehood in in four specific ways. In speaking, speaking falsely, telling lies. Uh, We we use words in vain ways when we tell lies. In prophecy, prophesying falsely. Worshiping, and when we worship falsely. And finally, uh, fourthly here, uh, as we uh, have false professions, which we're just going to call this faking Christianity, faking being a part of the covenant. We We like to look like we are Christians, like we have taken on the name of God, and yet we live our lives in different ways. We don't have integrity uh, according to the name of the Lord that we take on. So let's walk through these. False theology or or speaking. Uh, You know, when we have false theology and we speak wrongly about God because we believe wrong things about God, right? And there are Uh, A few misconceptions here uh, that I believe need to be addressed. Uh, So common misconceptions about God. Should have had a font change there, but I didn't. My bad. And then we have four here. God will accept our righteousness. That's one of the misconceptions that we have about God. Now, when we believe that we can live this life in a way that we can earn merit towards God or that we can be good enough and God will accept us, we are Profaning and taking in vain the name uh, that we discussed earlier, that God is our righteousness, Jehovah Sidkanu. When you live your life in a way that is self reliant, that is not relying on the grace of God, you are taking in vain the name of Jehovah Sidkanu, the Lord, our righteousness. We don't have righteousness. God is our righteousness. That is the hope that we all have today. Uh, Secondly, God will not come through with what we need. Uh, When we are anxious about the future, we fret over what we have now or what we don't have now. We forget that God is Jehovah Jireh. We're taking the name of the Lord in vain when we fret over these things. Uh, When we think God doesn't know the depth of my struggle... Uh, there, there are people in this room, uh, and there, and we have all been through these phases in our in our spiritual walk where sin seems like it has entangled us so deeply that we don't know what to do, we don't know a way out, and we begin to think, God, you, you don't even know how hard this is. You, I, I have fallen in this way over and over and over and over again. Surely this is just. Life. Surely this is just who I am. You're taking the name of the Lord in vain because God is the one who sanctifies us. Jehovah Makadashkim from Exodus 31. God sanctifies you as you rely and trust in Him. And then finally, I think another misconception there are many more that we could discuss. Uh, God exists to serve our purposes. Now, nobody in this room, if I were to pull you up on stage right now, would say or be able to admit uh, that God, uh, you know, exists to serve our purposes. Nobody would stand up here and say that. But what I want you to do is think about your prayer life, right? When when we talk to God, when we uh, bring our requests to God, what are they centered on? Far too often, if you're honest, I'll take the silence in the room as like you're in deep thought and not confusion or boredom, right? You're in deep thought. Uh, if, if I were to be honest, much of my prayer life centers on me. And so what am I saying to God in that? You exist to serve me. You exist to serve me. And you forget that this is the great I am. We forget that this is the one who existed, who created and ultimately the one who pursues us. We, have, we speak falsely about God because we have wrong ideas about God. False prophecy, this is another way, and we're going to kind of uh, blitz through these, but false prophecy. We take the name of the Lord and God, our God in vain when we speak in ways that God has not spoken. I'll be brief here, um, but You know, to say that God told me, and this is from Al Mohler, God told me, God showed me, and God led me, are commonly used expressions of evangelical piety. Well, God does show, God does tell, God does lead by His revealed Word. It it needs nothing to be added to it. Uh, It it is given to us. Forms of disguised idolatry come among us when without any revealed canonical scriptural word, we speak as if God has spoken to us and has given us a new revelation. Be careful, lest you take the name of the Lord your God in vain, about how you ascribe God's will to certain things that you want to do in your life, okay? husbands don't lead your families that way hold us accountable as pastors not to lead you that way we don't want to take the name of the lord our God in vain we want to do this well and we want to be people of the word uh, and, and you know the greatest protection uh, from from doing this is to be a, a person of the Bible to be a person who doesn't just crack your Bible open just to get the dust off of the top of it no if you don't want to speak False prophecy. You better know God's word that He has spoken to us. A third way uh, that the Old Testament uses this vain word is in false worship. We don't take the name. We take the name of the Lord and our God in vain when we pretend to bear the name of the Lord when we walk into this worship service, uh, but we really don't. And when we are disingenuous with our worship, you know, this time that we spend together, y'all, on Sunday mornings is massive should be uh, you are gathering together with a group of believers who are covenanted together meaning we love you meaning we want what's best for you meaning we want you to flourish not the pastors to you yes that is true but also one brother to another one sister in christ to another and we come together to worship god don't i, I think like i need to grow in this like don't come in here flippantly. Like today, I walked in. I was stuffing a cinnamon roll in my mouth. You know, like I, I'm not ready to to stand in in front of the Lord our God and worship. A couple of our coaches are back there. Sorry, ate a cinnamon roll this morning, but uh, you know, don't don't do that. Come prepared to worship. This is a this is a momentous time. This is the time where you come together as a family to worship, to reorient, to recenter our lives on on Yahweh, on on who is good, but then there's another reality too. It's not just about Sunday mornings, right? Because the Bible never tell, like communicates this idea that the only time you worship in your life is when like you come to church, right? The Bible communicates the idea that your whole life is designed for worship. Your whole life is designed for worship. And so whenever you move throughout life, and when I move throughout life in a way that's flippant, that isn't weighty that isn't righteous the righteousness that god has we are taking the name of the lord our god in vain colossians three seventeen says this whatever you do in work or deed do everything in the name of the lord jesus not anything else but as the name unto the name of lord jesus giving thanks to the father through him and then fourthly false profession You know, there's a a story of Judas as a hard story to read, right? Uh, Judas was a guy who walked with the 12 disciples as one of the 12 disciples, right? Uh, But at the right time, what did Judas do? He sold out Christ for a little money, 30 pieces of silver. We, like Judas, have the capacity to associate ourselves uh, with Christians in such a way that we feel like we are in And yet, a day will come when temptation draws you away. There's a false profession that we are susceptible to. It's called faking Christianity. It's called, you're just going through the motions. You haven't really dealt with what God has said about who you are and who he is. And God will not hold us guiltless when we do that. There's a stark promise on the backside of this commandment. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. At the end of the day, truth be told, we have all broken this third commandment. Maybe even today, we've lacked integrity in how we've taken the name of the Lord. We uh, we've done these things, but our hope is not in you, our in in me. Our hope is in Jehovah Jireh. Our hope is in uh, the God of righteousness the God who is our righteousness the, the, our hope is in the God who does sanctify us the God our, our hope is in the God who has existed and will exist long after we are gone and there's only been one right there's only been one person to ever do this in fact when he taught his disciples how to pray what did he say pray like this hallowed be your name He's the only human to ever walk the face of the earth who rightly hallowed the name of God, which means honor, which means to have an awe about the name of God. And that is who we need. That is where we find our righteousness. That is, it's in Jesus, it's, who, it's, it's in whom we find our sanctification. And so there are evidences really quickly of, of a life that is marked by um, integrity. There, 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 are, there are four things that I think mark, and these are very simple, that, that mark the life of a person who has rightly taken on the name of the Lord. The first evidence is this, your life is marked by faith. Not arbitrary faith, but faith in a person, Jesus, okay? Secondly, your life is marked by repentance, and those first two really go hand in hand. Repentance, recognizing when you have done wrong, well, that you have done wrong, when you have done wrong, and turning from your sin, confessing that to God. We all have been there. Uh, thirdly, love the church. This is an evidence of someone who does not take the name of the Lord in vain. If, if I were making friends in the crowd and you know, maybe we established a new friendship with someone and my new friend says, you know what, I, I really like love hanging out with you. Uh, I, I love hanging out with you. You're a fun guy, right? You're you're athletic, you like you're awesome at golf and basketball and all that stuff. Like I just love being around you, Blake. But like I'm joking obviously. But like, you know, I don't really like your wife. We're not gonna flourish together, right? As friends. You can you can think I'm awesome all you stinking want. And I'll probably be like pridefully flattered by that. But at the end of the day, like if you can't love my wife whom I'm one flesh with, I'm sorry, we got problems. So it is true with God and the church. You can't have an affinity with God and not love his church. That's his bride. That's who he died for. That's what we're here to be. Uh, you can't do that, and so test yourself. And then finally, you join the mission of God. Uh, you, you go and you make disciples. There, there's no um, secret sauce to this. You know what it is? It's communicating what God has done in your life to others as you build relationships with them. These are the evidences of what it means and what it looks like to walk with the Lord in integrity, to put on the name of God, to take on the name of God. If you're here today and like this is new to you and like I would so love to talk to you more about this Uh, and, and I'll be up at the front and uh I'll be up in the in the back, and like you can, you can talk to me, and, and I would love to talk more about like how we have all, uh, how we all need Jesus, how we all need the one who hallows uh, the name of God. But one of the evidences that God has given us uh, in the scriptures uh, to pro, to appropriately uh, designate and rightfully take on uh, the name of God in a public way is communion. It's communion. These elements before you—we've got, um, we've got wine and we've got bread. These two things represent something that is inextricably valuable to us as believers. And if you are a person in the room who has rightly taken on the name of God, you're you're a person who your life is marked by faith. Your life is marked by repentance, and you're and you're in. A fellowship with the local church, we would love to invite you to participate in communion. And this is the moment where we publicly together remind ourselves that our identity is in the covenant and the faithfulness of Christ. That is our hope. And so uh, what we'll do is you uh, You can stand when you're comfortable. Uh, They're gonna play and we're gonna continue in worship. But when you're comfortable, uh, if you can just come down to the table that's in front of you and go back to your seat. We'll take the elements together uh, corporately uh, here in just a moment. But as we do, let me pray for us. God, we're grateful to you for your kindness to us. We're grateful to you for Christ. God, we pray that um, even now as we take communion, that we would test our hearts uh, to know that we are rightly taking on um, the name of the Lord, that we uh, put our hope in you. We pray for this time. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Christ Covenant Sermon Podcast. If you have any prayer needs, questions, or comments about the sermon, we would love to hear from you. So please text us at 678-951-9041. Or feel free to email Jason at jason at Christcovenant dot com.